All right. We're going to start here at the top of Ted Vova Medalev. On the second line, the Gemara says, Gufa, I'm reviewing This is a statement that we mentioned in the previous Gemara with regards to the Machloka between Shemai the Hillel. So yesterday, when we were discussing the issue of the Yudchet Davar, we said over there that so the way to reconcile between the Yudchet Davar and Shemai and Hillel with regards to the Zero of Yadayim is to say, we say Shemai the Hillel, we mean Shemai the Siato and Hillel the Siato. Means Shemai, not Shemai and Hillel themselves, but they and their Bate Midrash. The problem with that is, we have Ravuna's statement which says that they only argue in three places. And we know with regards to the Yudchet Davar, we have the statement of Rabbi Yehuda that says that the Yudchet Gazru, that there were 18 items in which they made the Gzerot, the Yudchet Nechleku, and 18 Adam Achloket. So that can't be reconciled. Shemai and Hillel only argue in three places. If they were a part of that, Convention where they had the Yud Chet Devar, that means that they argued in many more items. They argued in 18 items. And so therefore we rejected that explanation and came up with a different way to differentiate B'yadayim between Shlomo Melech, Shemai V'Hilel, and then the Gzerat Yud Chet, that there was a progression. Shlomo was Gozer and Kodeshim, and then Shemai V'Hilel, and then Beit and Beit Shemai, instituted with regards to Trumah, with that of Shemai Hill being rejected, and that of Beit Shemai and Beit Hilel being accepted. Now, Tosafot points out that they could have answered here in the three stages, progression of the Gezerah went like this, that Shlomo Melch said that Kodshim are Nisraf, Shemai Nehilel said that Shumah is Litlot, and then Beit Hillel and Beit Shemai came and added on that Shumah is also Lisrof. And we would have said the statement of Ilfa that said yesterday by Yadayim Tchilatam Nisrefa is referring to Shlomo Melch, because he was the first one, by Kodashim he said Nisrefa. So Tosavot says we can't answer that way because Ilfa sounds like he's speaking about the Yudchet Davar and not about Shlomo Melech. And therefore the Tchiladana Sreifa sounds like it's in this issue of Truma and then you can't make that distinction between Shemai and Hillel and Beit Shemai and Beit Hillel about Shema being Litlot and then Lisrof. And that's why the Gemara concluded that the progression is Shlomo Melech said Kodashim the Sreifa, Shemai Nehilel said, Shuma the Sreifa, but it was not accepted. Beit Hillel, Beit Shemai said that it was Shuma the Sreifa, which was accepted. And now the Gemara wants to go back and investigate that statement of Rav Yehuda with regards to that there was 18 Gzerot and 18 Machlokot on that day. 18 Gzerot, 18 Nechluku, Ba'atan Yushbu, and we have a bright that says that they agreed on 18. Gemara says, Bobayom Nechluku, on that day they argued, Ulamachar Hushbu. On the next day, they reconciled. So what's difficult about this is, here you have a mention of three 18s. You have an 18 of Gzera, 18 of Machloket, and then an 18 of Hushvu. The question is, how do they relate to each other? We saw with the Rambam, the Rambam thinks that there are actually three independent issues. There is Hushvu, 18 that they were Hushvu, which is the first 18 halachot up to the Mishnah of Elo halachot in the first parak. Then there are the 18 Gzerot, which we're discussing right now. And then there's an additional 18 from the remaining Mishnayot in Perak Aleph, after Elo halachot, that Beit Shemai and Beit Hilel disagree on. So the Rambam keeps them completely separate, and says that there are actually these three different categories of 18. On the other hand, if you look at the Rashi on the previous Amud, Rashi says, It's the third to last line. And Rashi says, So what does that mean that they were 18 that they argued about? That's the same 18 as the Gzerot. The 18 that they argued about were the Gzerot. It just turns out they became Gzerot because Beit Shemai exceeded Beit Hilal. 
But those are the Machloket. Unlike the Rambam, who thinks the Nechloku is about the latter half of the Perek, the Nechloku here is on the Yudz Ched Davar, and then they reconcile them. Tosafot has a similar reading. If you look in the beginning of the Tosafot, and the last Tosafot on Pri Zamud, Vim Tamar, Lema Begimot Devarim Nechloku, Vamdu Vemachlokudam, Shar Yuched Devarim Nechloku, Ulam Machar Hushvu, the 18 items that they were Nechlakanete, and then they reconciled, say that the Gimot Devarim are things that stayed that way implying that the 18 are the same 18 that got reconciled. So those with the Rashi seem to indicate that the Yudchet Davar that are Nechalku are the same ones that they were Gazru. And the Hushvu, it's not clear what that means, but it sounds like Nechalku or Machar Hushvu is that after they exceeded, Beit Shemai exceeded Beit Hillel, then that was the Gzeira and Beit Hillel had to accept it. And that was the Hushvu. Because otherwise, what's the explanation of the Hushvu? So that's what we say, the Machu is Shachazru Behem Beitilel. Beitilel, either they changed their mind and agreed to the Gzerot, or they were exceeded in numbers, and therefore they had to agree to the Gzerot. According to that, there is, all these 18s, according to Rashi, are the same 18. Whereas going to Rambam, each of the 18 are separate 18s. And that's why we sent out the list before, when we did the Mishnah of the different counts of 18 for the Alachot. Now the Gemara wants to come back and discuss this idea that there are only three Machlokot between Shemayin and Hillel. Kufa, Amravuna Begum Makomot Nechluku Shemai Vihilo. There are three locations where Shemai and Hill argued. Here they are. Number one is a Mishnah and Idiot about the size to be Chayav in Chala. To be Mafrish Chala, the Torah says, Rishit, Erisutuchem Chala Tarimu Chuma. Chuma Tagorin came to Rimu Just like Chuma is taken off of the grains, so too you have to take off Chuma from the Arisa, from the Chala that's given to the Kohen. That chala, there is a minimum volume of dough that you must have in order to be chayav and chala. What is that minimum volume? That is the machloket in this Mishnah. Shemay Omer, mikav chala. If it's a kav of chala, then you have to give chala, truma, to the kohen. Hillel Omer, mikabayim. It has to be two kav in order to be chayav and chala. Vechachamim omrim, like neither of these opinions, one and a half kabim are chayav and chala. Mishigdilu amidot, when they expanded the measurements, amru chameshet rivaim kevach chayavim b'chala. And it turns out that it's five-fourths of a kav of kemach that is chayav in chala. So then we have to explain all of this. How did they get to any of these numbers? Where does this all come from? So the Torah says... So there it says that you take off of the dough, the first part, a chuma. The Gemara Darshan is about Reshit Arisotechem. Kesheti Loshu, when you need your dough. Kedei Isatchem, Shatem Rigilim Labushba Midbar. When you need the amount of dough that you normally need in the Midbar, that's what you were Chayav and Chala. Well, Kamahi, what's the amount that they did in the Midbar? So that's based on the Pasuk by the Man. Because by the man it says, Take for yourselves, ish According to how much you eat, Omer And Omer per head. So the Omer is the amount that you normally eat. And what's the measurement of an Omer? So later on at the end of that, it says, so we know that an Omer is one-tenth of an Eifah. 
So now let's work our way through that. An efa is equal to 18 kav. So if you get one-tenth of that, that'd be 1.8 kav, would be chayav in chala. They can translate it. Rashi does a much more complex calculation. I put it together in the charts. You can see how Rashi does it because he doesn't work with decimals and uh, multiplication. So he has to do it through breaking it down into a smaller component part. So I, I did that. And you can follow it in the charts. We're just going to do it the easiest way, which is the way that we can do it. So you have 1.8 kav. That 1.8 kav changes over time because they had a measurement in the midbar. Then when they came to Yushalayim, they expanded the measurements by a shtut, a sixth. But that's what we call a shtut milabar. Shtut milabar means that the residual, after you take the ratio or the fraction, and you add it to the amount, it is one-sixth of the new amount. It's the equivalent of saying one-fifth of the original item. Right, plus one, which is the original item, that will give you the next part being one-sixth, which is 1.2 times. So if you take the Kavadamid Midbar, they expanded that measurement by 1.2 times when they came to Yerushalayim. After that, again in Tzipori, they grew the measurements again, another Shtut Milibar, another 1.2 times. So what ends up happening is if your measurements are getting bigger, then the proportion or fraction of the measurement is going to get smaller. So if in the Midbar it was 1.8 Kav, when you get to Yerushalayim, you only need 5 sixths of that amount. Because the measurement is 1.2 times bigger, you'll only need 5 sixths of that amount. So if I take the 1.8 kav and multiply it by 5 sixths, I get 1.5 kav. So if I have 1.5 kav in Yerushalayim, which is what's mentioned here in the Gemara, which is that it's kav that's Yushalmi measurements. But then again, they grew the measurements once again in Sipori another 1.2 times, which means that you have to multiply the 1.5 by 5 sixths. If you do that, you get five-fourths, or one-and-a-quarter kav. Five-fourths of a kav, or one-and-a-quarter kav, is the chiyuv in chala. Now, a kav is four log. So the way you could express it is that it's five log. Five log, divided by the four log that make up a kav, gives you five-and-a-quarter kav. So that's where you get these numbers from, which is the kav from Yushalayim to the Tzipori, of a kav, or basically five log, that's what's chayav in chala. How do Shammai and Hillel get their measurements? Which is interesting. Shammai said it was one kav, and Hillel says that it was kabayim, two kav. So how do they do that? The midbar, we said an eifah is equal to 18 kav, and the eifah, the omer, asirita eifah, is one-tenth of an eifah. So what's one-tenth of the eifah? We said before it's 1.8 kav. But that's only if you do one-tenth or asirit milagav from the internal fraction. If you do an external fraction, which is asirit milabar, so one-tenth of 18 is really one-ninth of 18, which turns out to be two kav. So that is the source for Hillel's Shita, that two kav is chayav in chala. He says, when you say asrita ifa, I don't mean one-tenth milagav, the internal fraction. I mean the external fraction. External fraction means that the amount afterwards will equal to one-tenth of the amount. If I take one-ninth of 18, I get two. Two plus 18 is 20. That means two out of 20 is one-tenth. That's what we call an asrit milagav. So that one-tenth is the amount you're chayav in chala. And that's the two. That's where Hillel's number comes from. That's what Tosfos quotes in the name of Yushalmi. The difficulty with that is that Hillel's opinion then is stating what it was in the Midbar, whereas the Chachamim's position here that says, look, is talking about either Yushalmi or Tzipori. They're giving you measurements. They're not giving you the Midbar measurements. 
Leaving that aside, that's what Tosfot calls me, Shema Yishalmi. What was Shemai's position? Shemai's position is the same as Hillel, is to Kav. But, he says, that was for Boker and Erev. You had two meals in the day. So at each meal, you only ate one Kav. So that's what your Chayyab and Chala is, that one Kav. We then have a fourth opinion, which is here, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Hey Turim, Hey Va'od Chayavim. Five log, you're Patur. Five log, and a little more, you are Chayav. So that little more makes you chayav. What's that little more that he's speaking about? So again, Tosavot claims that the sheet of Rabbi Yossi is based on having a residual of five, four, five quarters of a kav after you've been mafrish the chala. So the od is the amount of the chala. So chala comes in two forms. If it's a beti, if it's done as a household item and it's taken off, it's 124th. If it's done on a commercial basis, it's 148th. That's how much the chala is. So he would have to exceed the five quarters by 124th. That would be the ode that you have here. And once you've separated chala, what you have left is five quarters of kav. And so that's what Tosavot says is the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, that the five quarters kav is not the amount that makes you, or the volume that makes you chayav in chala. It is the residual you must have after you've been mafrish the chala. And so the ode is the additional amount that will go towards the kohen, the truma of the kohen, and leave you with a residual of five quarters of a kav. And so those are the opinions with regards to Chala, Machloket, Shemai, and Hillel. We don't Paskan like either of them. We Paskan obviously like the Chachamim, which is it's five quarters of a Kav to be Chayav in Chala, which is a pretty significant amount. That's not such a small amount of dough. If you just cook a small amount, two Chalot, you're not usually going to get there. You have five pounds of dough or roughly 2.4 kilo. That's the Mishnah that we have from Idiot. So that's one. Next, number two, vida is, have to do with mikveh. When it comes to a mikveh, you need 40 sa'ah of water inside of a mikveh to make it a kosher mikveh. If the mikveh is 40 sa'ah, no matter how much water you add in afterwards, it makes no difference to the mikveh. The mikveh is kosher. Even if you add in much more mayim shu'vim afterwards. There is tosafot that suggests in other places that maybe if it becomes the rove, the mayim shu'vim, that that could create a problem. But without that, any amount of water that you add makes no difference once you have a kosher mikveh. Before you have a kosher mikveh, which is made out of rainwater, if you bring drawn water to the mikveh, it can be poselet. How much water is posel the mikveh? Midoraita, from the Torah, it would be rove. You'd only need rove of rainwater, a minority of water that came from any drawn water, and you'd have a kosher mikveh, because midoraita, rov, is koveya. On the other hand, midorabanan, they were gozer with regards to maim shuvim, drawn water that had to be limited amount in there. What is that amount that makes a mikveh pasul before it reaches 40 sa'ah? So here we have a machloket in the Mishnah. Hillel, Omer, Malehin, maim shuvim poslimit the mikveh. If you have a full hin, that is, posel de mikvah. Hin is 12 log. So it would take 12 log to be posel de mikvah. Now, the Mishnah there continues, Shechayav Adam Lomar Bishon Rabbo. Why did Hillel express it as a hin? A hin is a Lashona Torah. The Mishnah doesn't use the term hin. Hin is from the libations in the Mikdash, in Isuch Amayim, Isuch Ayayim, where it's Revita hin, Shlishita hin, Chatsiya hin. Those are measurements that are mentioned in the Torah. When it comes to the Mishnah, Mishnah wouldn't use the terminology of in, but rather would use log or something to the effect that was used in the Mishnah times. So why did Hillel quote a hin? 
says, because Chayab Adam Lomar Bishon Rabo. That's how he heard it from Shmaya Vavtalion. Since he heard it from his Rebbeim, Shmaya Vavtalion that way, he said it over in the way that he heard it from them. Not because that would be the normal way to express it. So the Mishnah Idiot is giving the explanation why he used the terminology hint. Rashi brings a second possibility, which he rejects, which is, Bishon Rabo means, Bishon Rabo, the ultimate Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu. So he has to say it over in Lashon Moshe Rabbeinu, which would be a hint, because that's the way the Torah expresses it. Rashi rejects that because he says the Mishnayot are replete with measurements that are not quoted. We don't use the Torah measurement, we use the Mishnayot measurements. So he says that's not a consistent theme throughout the Mishnayot, and that can't be the explanation over here. That's the position of Hillel. Shemai, Homer, Tisha Kabin, nine Kav. We said before that a Kav equals four Log. So Tisha Kabin is nine times four, it's 36 Log. So you have to have 36 Log in order to be Posel, the mikveh. Then we have Chamim Omrim, Lok Divrezeh, the Lok Divrezeh, like neither of these opinions. Ad Shibau Bet Gardiim Misharha Ashpa. There were two weavers who came from Shar Ashpa, which we know today as Shar Hashpot. They were working over there by Shar Ashpa. They brought a memra from, they brought over a mesorah from Shmaivah. The three log of Maim Shuvim, if you have drawn water, water from the tap, that's not rainwater, that's in the mikveh, you have three log before it reaches 40 sa'ah, that's posel the mikveh. And the chamim established a locha like these two weavers. So the Mishnah explains that why does the Mishnah mention who these individuals were, what their professions were. This Rashi says over here, First person should never withhold himself from coming to Midrash. There is no profession that is lower on the totem pole than a Gardi, than a weaver. They're not qualified to be a Kohen Gadol, not to be a king. And there's no worse gate than the garbage gate in Yerushalayim. It's where they put the garbage. Because they had a testimony, they came to Beit Midrash, and they had a Mesot from Shemayim Talion, they were listened to, and Allah was Nikva Yadam. Which is pretty amazing. Alright, that's the second Mishnah where Shemai and Hillel themselves argue. Then we have a third Mishnah. Third Mishnah we saw more recently, which was the Mishnah in Nida. Nida, Shemai Omer, Nashim Dayan Shatan. When a woman has a sighting for Nida, she is only prospectively Tmea. Retroactively, there is no Tumah. We assume at the time that she sighted the Dam, that's when she had the menstruation, that it left the rechem, it left the uterus at that time. When she sees it, that's when it left the uterus. It wasn't caught in the vaginal canal for a period of time. And therefore we assume that the tumah is from that time forward prospectively. Depends on the last time she checked. Whenever the last time she's checked, from that time backwards, she's tohora. From that last time she checked until now where she finds the damim, she's tmeah. Because we assume what happened was that the blood discharged from the uterus and then got caught in the vaginal canal and it's been sitting there. And now it's only emerged now. So therefore, retroactively, we say she was tmeah from the last time that she checked. 
Chomim Amim, lo kidivrei zeh, velo kidivrei zeh, like neither of these opinions, ela me'et le'et, me'et ayudei mi'bikida l'bikida, um mi'bikida mi'bikida, me'et ayad me'et le'et. So they say it's the lesser of 24 hours, or the last check. If she checked within the last 24 hours, then it goes back, the tumah only goes back to the time that she checked. If she checked before 24 hours, the maximum amount of time we go retroactively to tumah is 24 hours. We don't assume that the dam will stay in the vaginal canal before being discharged out of the body for more than 24 hours. So if it's left the uterus within 24 hours, we assume it's going to exit the woman, and therefore there's no tumah greater than that amount. So that's what's my eight. It's a lesser of those two items. So here we have three makhlukot between Hillel and Shammai. And the Gemara's question is going to be the two leka. Is that really true? Are there no more machlokot? Vaika. Don't we have an additional item? Hilo amar lismoch. Veshamar amar shalolishmoch. This is based on the machloket in Chagiga with regards to doing smicha on karbanot, nidarim, nidavot, and yom tov. Whether you're allowed to do smicha on the karban or not, is it a problem of being mishtamish behema on yom tov? There, there's a machloket and there are a series of Nesiyim versus the Abbeitin in which this Machloket exists. And Hillel and Shammai were in that same position and they argue about it. So here we see Hillel and Shammai themselves are arguing this. When it says, When does he say? He says, when they're the only ones who are arguing. Shammai and Hillel are arguing and that's it. Over there, all the big guns are arguing. They're not the first to argue about it. Not the last. There's a whole list of Tanaim that argued. They're Rebbeim. Shammai Valtavion. Yosef ben Yuezer and Yosef ben Sreid also argued on it. They were the first. So you have a series of big guns before them that argued about this. So that can that he didn't want to count because that they weren't unique or Tishamai and Hillel. Vaika that we have later on in our Perek, an issue with regards to Hefsher the Kabotuma, which is a Botzer the Gat, someone who is picking grapes in the vineyard and putting them into the basket. As he puts them into the basket, the grapes are so ripe that they start to drip some juice, or when you stack the grapes up on top of each other, as they pile on each other, they start to drip juice out. That juice, is that juice considered to be a liquid that can be machshir the kabel tumah? If it falls on something, the grapes that are sitting there, does it make them now ready to accept tumah? Now we've spoken about before, that in order for ochel to be makabel tumah, it has to be washed first. Washed, doesn't literally mean washed, it has to come into contact with a liquid, one of the seven liquids, and it has to be the dot, that he wants it. He wants that liquid to be there, and once it's touched those, that ocho, that ocho is now muksha the kabel tuma. So now he has this liquid that's dripping out, and it's on the grapes. Let's think about this. Does he want the liquid to come out now? The answer is clearly no, because he has a basket. What's going to happen when the liquid and the grapes are sitting in the basket? They're going to drip out the bottom. He's going to lose that liquid, that grape juice. He'd rather not have it come out. So that's clearly not a case of Moksha the Kabbal Tumah because he doesn't want it. He doesn't want the liquid to come and he doesn't want the liquid to exit. But Shammai says over there that he was gozer because what happens if you bring a basket, Mizuvefet, which is basically it has pitch on the inside which seals the basket. In that instance, you wouldn't mind if the liquid came out. You'd actually be fine with it coming out because you wouldn't lose the liquid. So what Shammai says is, I am gozer in a regular basket up to a case where he has a sealed basket and he will want it. Even though I know in that case he wasn't. Hillel will disagree. That's what we have here. A boat said the gat. Someone's picking for the vineyard. Shemai Omer Hukshar. Over there, it's Mukshar the Kabel Tumah because of this Gzirah. Velo Omer, Lo 
Again, it has to be legat for pressing, because there you want the liquid to exit, as opposed to raisins. If you're making them to dry them out, then raisins, you couldn't care less if the liquid comes out. You don't even want to store the liquid. The liquid has no value to you. You want it to exit the grapes. So over here, the liquid has value to you because you would keep it if you could store it. It's just because it happens to be in a vessel, it's dripping out. Machlokah between Shemayin Nila, whether you make such a gzeira, otu, in a regular basket, otu, a case where you have a sealed basket. Where it says, barmine, excluding that case, da'id ahatam kashotik lehila l'shamayin. We're going to see later on in the parak when discussing this issue, over there, Hillel basically is silent in the face of Shemai, because on that day, Hillel sat before Shemai, kafuf, because the Beit Shemai had exceeded the Beit Hillel, and Shemai was victorious on that day in instituting certain zerot, including this gzerah. So that's an unusual circumstance in which Hillel, basically in the end, comes or has to agree to the position of Shemai, and the Machloka doesn't remain because Shemai imposed his opinion on Hillel. So now the Gemara goes back to what we brought before, which was the question about the Yadayim. We had the question about the Yadayim, which was, was Yadayim really Nigzar B'yudchad Devarim? We already saw that before by the case of Shemai B'Hillel. Then we said we also saw it even earlier than that by Shlomo Melech. The Gemara dealt with it. But when the Gemara quoted the Breitah, that told us that Shemai bin Hillel were gozer by Yadayim, there were also a number of other gzerot that were there. And that's what the Gemara is going to discuss now. The first of those was, Yosef bin Yezer ish Tzreda, Yosef bin Yochanan ish Yerushalayim, gazru tumal Eretz Amim, They were gozer tumal on the Eretz Amim, and on glass utensils. So the Gemara wants to understand that. Is that really true? Vara bonan deshmonim shenad gazur? Wasn't this the... Institution of the Rabbanan that lived 80 years before the Churban, weren't they the ones who instituted this? Dama Rabkana. Kikhashachala Rabbi Shmel Rabbi Yossi, when he fell ill, Shalchulo Rabbi, and Moralano Bet Ugimodarim Shamarta Mishumavicha. Say, tell us over two or three things that you heard from your father. Shalchem, Kachamarabo. This is what my father said. Kuf peishana atshelo charava bayit. 180 years prior to the Churban, pashta machut arishal Israel. The Romans came and basically took over the land of Israel. It was a result of an internal conflict. There was a civil war during the Hashmonim dynasty after they defeated the Greeks. The Hashmonim dynasty rules. And then they came to a case of Hokunus and Aristobulus who end up having a fight over who should be the king. It results in a civil war, and they call in Rome to help them deal with the situation. And from that time forward, Rome occupies Eretz Israel. So that, he says, took place 180 years before the Churban. Number two, Peishana, Ajaloch Ravabait, 80 years prior to the Churban, Gazru Tumal, Eretz Amim, Valkleizukhukhit. This is what they were mentioning. That the Rabbanan of Eidi Shana did this, that 18 years before the Khurban, they were gozer, Tumah Beret Amim, and that glass utensils have Tumah. Mem Shana Chalokharava Bait, 40 years prior to the Khurban, Galtala Shan Hedjin Vyashla Yashavala Bechaniot. Sanhedjin left the Lishkat Gazit and moved into the storefronts in the Shuk. There the Gemara describes that they went through a number of Galiot, number of travels until they end up in Yavne. Why did they do this? The Gemara in Sanhedrin explains the Mayhilchata. Why did they leave that? They didn't adjudicate any more cases that involved fines. 
any base din can do that. What does it have to do with the base din agado and lishka gazit? That they didn't do capital punishment anymore. There was no capital crimes. There's no adjudication of capital crimes anymore. That, that's the conclusion there. That once they left the lishka gazit, because what the gemara says, "Hamakom goreim," the location is what causes it. You have to be in the place in order to be the status of the Beit Agadol. And the Beit Agadol has to be in place in order to be done Dinei Nefashot. Which is interesting, and Tosfat puts this out, that is learned out from Zakin Mamre. Zakin Mamre is the rebellious judge who has a disagreement with his fellows back home, and then they bring it up to the Supreme Court, to the Beit Din Agadol, and they pass it against him, and then he goes back home and disregards that, and continues to pass it like himself. There he's put to death for being a Zakin Mamre. Over there, we learn out the din, which says, You have to go up to the place. So there, the Gemara Dashans, that the place determines it. Tosavot describes over here that that's very unique to the case of Zakein Mamre. It's only about a particular part of the case of Zakein Mamre. He doesn't know how the Gemara expanded that to all of Dinei Nefashot. It's clear that the Gemara viewed it that way, that all of Dinei Nefashot required a Hamakom. It required the location. Zakein Mamre is a case, a capital crime, a capital case. And therefore, they believed that anything that was a capital case required Beitin to be Bimakom in the place. So that deals with why or what was important about it. Now the Gemara says, V'chitema, Bepei shana nami inu havu. So what are you going to suggest? Yosef ben Yuezer and Yosef ben Yochanan were those Rabbanan 80 years before the Chorban. That's when they lived. The Gemara says, you can't say that. Batanya, have a brighter. Hillel, Bishimon, Gamliel, Bishimon, Nagu, Nisiotan, in the last hundred years of the Beit HaMikdash, the Nisim were Hillel, then Shimon, his son, then Rabbi Gamliel, and then again Shimon. Not the same Shimon. They were a number of Nisim where they kept naming their grandfather the same name. It was Gamliel, Shimon, Gamliel, Shimon. Rashi's girsa is that Hillel was Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, Benoshel, Hillel, Haya, Virab Gamliel, that's Rabbi Gamliel, Hazakain, then Bishimon is Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, who's a part of the Harugei Malchut, which is also extremely difficult, because the Harugei Malchut take place during the Hadrianic persecutions, which are in time of Rabbi Akiva, way after the Korban. But it has to do with the fact that the Assyrian Harugei Malchut probably did not live at a similar time. They were brought together, even though they're disparate in terms of their chronological layout. Then, He's the father of Rabbi Gamliel. The Rabbi Gamliel got into trouble with the Gemara in Brachot with Rabbi Yoshua. So Rashi seems to have, I'm not sure what Rashi's girsah was, but it seems to be that Rashi had a girsah of Hillel Shimon, then Rabbi Gamliel as a cane, and then Rabbi Shimon, and then he mentions another Rabbi Gamliel. I'm not sure why he mentions that in terms of, he explains that he's the father of that Rabbi Gamliel. I don't know if Rabbi Rashi had in the girsah also Rabbi Gamliel. So here we have four Nisim, Hillel, Shimon ben Hillel, then Rabbi Gamliel as a king, and then Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel of the Rugei Malchut, and they were the last hundred years. Now, we say that the Gzera took place 80 years before the Chorban. That means it took place in one of these individuals' Nisiut, probably in the Shimon, Hillel or Shimon's Nisiut. They're way before that. There we know our Tanaim in Masechet Avot long before these individuals. And they were also in the Asin of Beitin. So it's clear that they were not the ones that instituted it 80 years before. 
So now we have an institution coming from Yosei ben Sreda and Yosei ben Yochanan. And then we also have another Xerah of the 80 years before. So how do we reconcile between those two? Ella, Ate Inhu, they came along. Ve'gazur agusha lisrof. Ve'avira velo klom. They come and said, if you have a clod of dirt, earth, from Eretz Amim, you come into contact with it, then you're soreif truma on it. Ve'avira velo klom. But the airspace of Eretz Amim has no impact. Ve'atu rabbonan de peishana, gazu avira litlot. They added an additional gzeira that the airspace, if truma comes into contact with it, you're toled. Toled means that you don't burn it, but you don't eat it anymore, you let it rot, and then you burn it after it's no good anymore. Outside of Eretz Yisrael. Any place that's outside of Eretz Yisrael is considered to be Eretz Amim. Lememro, from this you would conclude, everybody agrees from the start that this truma was Nisraf. Va'amar Yufa, we just had this yesterday's daf. Yufa said, Yadayim Tchilat Gzeratan Nisrefa. By Yadayim, when they instituted it originally, meaning the time that they first established the Gzera of Yadayim, that there was Nisrefa. Yadayim Udit Tchilatam Gzeratan Nisrefa. That only by Yadayim that's true. Ha Miriachrina Lo. But other items that they instituted, that was not the case. So that's the case. How could you say that up front there was an issue of Srefa? That's one girsa. Tosufo notes that there was another girsa here, which is similar to the answer that we gave yesterday. Originally, they made the gzera and they did not accept it. Then, they came along and then they accepted it. So that's a different girsa that they had in the Gemara. It's not obviously an argument, but Tosufo does mention there was this alternative girsa. I'll show you why that might be a, a more beneficial girsa in some ways. Which is then the Gemara says, okay, let's go back again and say, must be something else. Ella, at inu gazura gusha litlot. They said if you come into contact with a clod of earth from Eretz Amim, then it's tole. Vavira loklum. The airspace, nothing. Vadura banan de peishana gazura gusha litlot. Vavira litlot. So then they took the gzera up one notch. By the gusha, by the clod of earth, they said sreifa instead of tliya now. And with regards to the Avir, they said to be Toleh now instead of nothing. Umar says, Vakate Usha Gazur. Wait a minute, this Gzera is really from Usha. Usha is one of the places where the Beit Nagadol moved. It's not. Avav Svekot Sorfimet Tachuma. There are six doubts on which we are Sorif Tachuma. And one of those Svekot we're going to see in a second is this issue of Eretz Ha'amim. So, Asafek Beit Pras. When you have a Safek of a field in which Rashi says, a field in which you lost a kever. There was a grave in here, and you lost the kever, and we don't know where the kever is in this field now. That's called a beta pras. So if you cross through that field, you are a suffix tumah. Tosafot does not like Raj's explanation, because that's a suffix doraito. That's not a suffix doramanan. If there's a lost kever in the field, you have a suffix doraito. Talking about here is a field that had a grave in it that was plowed over. They plowed over... What we are afraid of is plow distributed the skeletal remains over the whole field. Now, the skeletal remains will not make you tamei ba'ohel because they're spread out over the field now. But they will make you tamei for us if you come into contact with them. Magao masa, because etzem kise ora. Even if it's a lentil side, a bone from a mate makes you tamei. If you come into contact with it or if you carry it, masa, or if you move it. Whatever those items. So we're afraid if you're going through the field, you're going to come into contact of that tumata mate. But that's a dindura banan. 
So that's why Tosafot says we're talking about a field that was plowed over that had a kever in it. Rashi says it was a field that had a kever lost in it. Tosafot does not like that explanation because he thinks that's a din to right. And here we're talking about dinay de Rabbanan. That's number one. Number two, al safek afar that any earth that comes from Eretz Amim has Safek Tumah. That's the whole institution of Eretz Amim is that we're Safek Tumah in all these places because of the Kvarim. We don't know where the Metim are buried. And therefore, there's a Safek of Tumah over there. You don't demarcate properly where the Metim are. Val Safek Big Day Ama'aretz. And a Safek of the clothing of Big Day Ama'aretz. All Big Day Ama'aretz have this Safek. Rashi says the Safek is that maybe his wife who's a Nida sat on it. That's Tumah Tesait. And therefore, we say all of their clothing has this tumah because they're not careful about it. Tosavot says it's not about his wife sitting on it, it's about he himself. That the Amaretz has a din of a zav. Since he has a din of a zav, his clothing, therefore, is tameh. Even though he doesn't have a full-fledged din of a zav, he's a din of a zav not for midras or for hesit. Nevertheless, for other items, he has a din of a zav. And here he's wearing the clothing that would make it tameh. So again, these are sfekot. We made him into a Zav because we have a Safek about his Tumah. Because he doesn't take care of Tumot, therefore they were gozer by him that he's Tameh. That's number three. Number four is a Safek Kilim Hanim Tzaim. Utensils that are found, that we don't know anything about their ownership or their previous history. That's number four. Number five is a Safek Rokim. You find spit out on the ground, and we don't know if the spit came from a Zav, which make it Tameh, or from an Adam who was Tahor. And therefore, it's a safek. A safek may ragle adam shekneged may ragle beima. Number six is we have a safek of human urine that is opposite urine of an animal. Rashi says this is not similar to the safekot that we had before because may raglayim would have the same din really as rok, a spit. It's a liquid that emanates from the individual and have the same din. So what's additive in this six zera? So Rashi claims that here we really have a sfeik sfeika. We have a sfeik, whether this is really urine of an individual, a human being, or urine of an animal, because it's next to urine of an animal. Since it's next to urine of an animal, we might thought that the other urine is also not human urine. Even if it is human urine, we're not sure if it came from a tamay or a tahor. So that's a sfeik sfeika, and yet they instituted over there that it's still metamei truma. Tosafot doesn't like this. He says that's not the case because the Gemara in other places says that we're not sareif truma on a sfeik sveika. And then the Gemara brings these vav sveikot and they say that our Mishnahs, this Mishnah here, the vav sveikot, is not talking about a case of sveik sveika. So if that's the case, the case can't be a case of sveik sveika. So Tosafot says, what's the case of the urine? The case of the urine is that it's opposite an animal's urine because then it's clear that this is human urine. When it's just urine, we're not sure. Then it's really a sfeik sfeika. We don't know if it's animal urine and human urine, and then we don't know if it's tomato or that's a sfeik sfeika. But when you have animal urine and human urine, the, the distinction between them, the difference between them makes it clear that one is human urine and one is animal urine. Once you have an, human urine, then we know it's only one sfeik, whether it's tomato or not tomato. The problem with that is, and why Rashi didn't go with that interpretation, is that it has that different than rope in the previous one. Right, but those are the two different ways to explain that to Mishnah. The Mishnah continues, it says, If you definitely came into contact with one of these items, which is Safek Tumatam, they are Safek Tumah, Sorfim. We burn the Tumah, the Tumah, and it's Sorfim at the Tumah. Rabbi Yossi Omer, You have a Safek of coming into contact with them in a Rishut Yachid, in a private domain, then you are Sorfim. That's a unique din in Tumah. Safek Tumah Birshut Rabim is Tahor. Safek Tumah Birshut Yachid is 
Tameh. That comes because we learn out all the dinim of Sveikotumah from Sota. And just like Sota is Nisteret, she's in a private area, so all Sveik that we think is problematic has to be in a private domain. So we have a Sveik. So what Rabbi Yossi says is, if you have a Sveik, if you came into contact with them, in a Rishut Yachid, then we go to Chumrah and your Sareif. If it's Rishut Rabim, they're Tawar the Gamre, because that's Safek the Kula by the Rishut Rabim. If it's a Safek the Rishut Rabim, we're only Tolet. We're not Sarek them, because they really have a double Safek there. If it's a fake, whether you even came into contact with them, even if you came into contact with them, we're not sure if these items are even Tmeim to start with. So they say they are Tolim. These five things that were in the Mishnah, they came from Usha. So in our Mishnah here, we just quoted from Usha, Al Safek Afar Be'eretzamim. So now we find a third Gzeira with regards to Eretzamim now. We had Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan. Then we had the 80 years before the Chorban. And now we have the Usha. So now we have three levels of Gzeira. So how do we reconcile that? Elato inu gozura gusha litlot Yosef ben Yochanan and Yosef ben Ezer, they were gozer on a clod of earth that it's toleh when Shuma comes into contact with it. Avir, uh, nothing going on. Vatu Rabbanan dishmanim shana. Then the Rabbanan 80 years before the Chorban came and said, They instituted that Avir is also toleh. Not only is a clod of earth, but even the airspace. Vatu Usha. Then Usha came along. Gazora gusha lisrof. Vavira dekaikai. And they moved up the plot of earth to be Srefa, and they left the Avir Eretzamim like it was beforehand. So that's the th- stages of the Gzeirah. Now they went through three stages. The first problem we have here is that there are actually two Gzeirot here. Remember that there was a Gzeirah with Eretzamim, but there's also a Gzeirah of Klis Chuchit. What happened to the glass issue? The glass thing never got addressed over here. How do we deal with that? Now that only had two parts of the Gzeirah. That's Yosef ben Yochanan and Yosef ben Yoezer. But, and the 80 Shanah Lifneke, not in Usha, but you still have two Gzerot, and Gmar never reconciles them. So according to the Gears that I told you before in Tosafot, it says that they originally were Gozer, and they did not accept it. And later were Gozer, and did accept it. That answer would work both for the glass, and for the Eretz Amin. But according to the Gears that we have, that the issue was the difference between Litlot and Srefa, that can't be the explanation for glass, because the Gemars are going to say in one second, that the Chachamim made it that when you came into contact with glass, the truma was not Yisrefet. It wasn't burnt, but only Toleh, to show that it was a Dindar Abonan. So it's clear that that progression from Tliyah to Sreifah doesn't happen in Zkuchit, because the Rabbanan are going to have to say that you know, so you're not Sreif. With glass, when you come into contact with glass, it's a Dindar Abonan, you're not Sreifet. The Tazwad has to come up with a way to explain it and saying, oh, what they meant was if you touch the back side of the glass, which is something that is unique to Klicheres, then they made it that you're Toleh, so that it's clear that it's the Rabbanan. But the internal side of the Klicher, of the Zuchukit is burnt. And therefore, Tazwad says, that's the progression again. Progression of Zuchukit was the original institution by Yosef ben Yoezer, and Yosef ben Yochanan was that you're Toleh, by the internal side of the glass that you come into contact with the Kli, and then later on, they instituted that it be Nisrach. That's one issue. The other issue is that we have a Mishnah in Masechet Olot that says, These are items that are metame. When you come into contact with them, you carry them, but not Bohel. And what are those examples? Etzim Kitzeora and Eretz Over here, our whole Gemara is replete with items about Avir. That the airspace is metame. And we have a Mishnah in Olot that says it's not metame. 
So one possibility is that he brought the earth back into Eretz Yisrael. So that's what caused the problem. Inami to Rabbi Shimon. That this mission is according to Rabbi Shimon's opinion who says that non-Jewish corpses do not have tumat oil. That's the way we paskin. But the Zerot here followed the position that there is tumat oil by non-Jewish corpses. The last possibility is that the mission Nishnei Kodim Zerash Gazru Remember now we have three stages to the Gzera now. When the Yosef and Yochanan and Yosef and Yosef instituted, there was no Gzera on the airspace. And that's what Tosavot says. You know why they said Bavira Veloklum? Why did they mention Bavira Veloklum? Why did they mention Avira at all? They mentioned Avira Veloklum because that is what the Mishnah said. The Mishnah says Avira Veloklum, that there is no dinner of Avira. The later institutions of 80 years before the Churban, that's post the Mishnah, and that ends, ends in Avira. And that's how we know that that Mishnah was Nishnei before the Gzeira, and then later after the Gzeira, then they instituted that they were Toleh for Avir. So Tosvah is trying to reconcile, we see this a lot, the Gemara is trying to reconcile, Tosvah is trying to reconcile between disparate sources for when the Gzeira happens, other sources than Mishnayot that seem to say the Gzeira is not right. So again, we're trying to reconcile the timing and the progression of the Gzeira. Right now, we'll just do quickly, we'll start the Klizuchuchit, which is the glass utensils which was another one of the Gzerot of Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan. My time of Gozur Ba'un Rabbanan Tumah. Why were the Rabbanan Gozur Tumah by Klizuchuchit, by glass utensils? Where it says, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Yishol, Kishol, B'tchilatan, Tchilat B'riyatan Minachol. Since they are made from sand. Shavin Rabbanan, Klicharis. They made it like earthenware utensils that are also made from sand, clay. So since they have a similar derivative, they made them have the same type of Tumah. Where it says, if they're domelikli we know that earthenware utensils become tamay, but you cannot be mitahir them. Once they're the tamay, the only way to be mitahir them is to break them. They can't go to the mikveh. So, that should be the same by glass utensils. You can't be able to, you shouldn't be able to take them to the mikveh. Allah Tanan, we have a mission that says, This is what creates a chatzitza. Chatzitza is something that blocks the water of the mikveh from touching the kli. So here we're talking about glass utensils. And we're saying over here that this causes a problem for going to the mikveh, which is zephet, pitch, v'amor, and mirgam. In glass utensils, as Rashi points out, glass is very slippery. It's hard to glue things on, to stick things on to glass. Therefore, what is a problem for many other kelim will not be a problem for glass, because it slides off. And therefore, you don't have to worry about it. But these items stick really well. Since they stick very tight, the person can be makbi, that they want to get this off. And therefore, it's going to be a for the mikveh. But you see, you can put glass into the mikveh. There was a hole in the glass. And they sealed the hole with a lead plug. And the lead plug has a din of matechet, of metal. And therefore, it's according to the opinion that says, That everything goes by what's keeping the kli together. The kli here is only functional because you put the lead plug in it. So that becomes, the kli now takes on a property of lead. And then once it has a property of lead, that's the machloket here. If you think that a go achar amarmid, that's the Rameyer says, then you can take it to the mikveh. Now it's a metal utensil. According to the Chilmim who don't say that, they say that it's still glass utensil. It's like a klicher, so you can't take it to the mikveh. The Tanya, we have a bright, klizuchuchich uh, inikvobe tiflu tochan ever. If you have a glass utensil that has a hole in it, if you fill the hole with lead, 
says that that utensil can now be mikabel tumah because it's kli matechet. It's a metallic kli, and metallic kli can be mikabel tumah. It's still glass. It's not metal. Now, when they say it's tahor, they mean tahor midoraito. I mean, obviously, if they have the institution midorabanan to make lazy chukit tamei, then midorabanan it will accept tumah because it's still a glass. It's still a glass utensil. I think we'll stop over here because the next piece of the gemara continues almost through the entire amud about discussing how exactly kli and kli zukhukit match up.